as long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Potomy app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radiopotomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV. Morning news on 710 KURV. Top newsmakers. Here's Sergio Sanchez. It's a first in the nation when it comes to an academic program, and it's right here in the Rio Grande Valley at South Texas College. From STC, Carlos Margo is Dean of Industrial Training, Economic Development. Carlos, very interesting to see this in the medical professions, uh, first of its kind apprenticeship programs. Well, tell me all about it. Yeah, this is one of several apprenticeship programs we have at STC. I know there's we've done these for many years, but never in the uh, nurse for the nursing occupation. Yeah, and that's what makes it unique because we're blending the best of having an already existing uh, high quality nursing program with high quality apprenticeship standards. So it's kind of joining the best of, of two different um, pathways at the college, but just making them into one much better program all the way around collectively sure. for everybody. Can you describe it a bit more for us? Like what's involved? You, you have a student next to a doctor, next to a nurse. How does it, how does it go down? So this is going to combine, this is the existing nursing program at SDC. It's actually the associate degrees in nursing um, pathway program. What we're doing is integrated a very structured on the job training programming, inclusive of the clinical that already exists, but this is going to add additional hours on the job with a, uh, with mentors who will be uh, training and mentoring, overseeing, and making sure that the quality of, of the work is mirroring the quality of the related instruction in the classroom. So this is going to be more consistent with uh, on-the-job training and um, a lot more consistent in integrating the classroom portions of the registered nurse program at STC. And, you know, thanks to DHR Health who, who committed to being the employer because these individuals, these apprentices must be paid. They're going to be paid well, and they're going to be working uh, full-time, if not um, almost full-time. Then for uh, Dean Carlos Margo from South Texas College joining us. Mr. Margo, Tim Sullivan here. So the student nurses training in the hospital setting, getting their hands on training, they are followed around by a mentor. Or, or how, are they, how much are they on their own? Do they have any – will they – be let alone after a certain period of time, or how, how will yes, that work? Yes, yes, and that's by way of a progressive model, um, especially at the beginning. First year is a two-year program, by the way, and you know the first year they will have a lot more mentoring. Then they'll slowly be doing a lot of the work on their own. Then they'll be, but they'll always be for the entire two-year duration. There'll always be a mentor. In this case, by using the terminology of the Department of Labor, a journeyman nurse, mm-hmm. uh, so to speak, in charge, making sure that this individual is, is completing the on-the-job um, learning experiences that are very much correlated to the classroom part. So um, it's, it's, they're never going to be left completely alone because of this, uh, of this apprenticeship structure. There's always going to be a mentor. That's a, that's a requirement. That's not even something that we locally decide here locally. Yeah. 
And that's what makes this a good program. It's a very structured program through the U.S. US Department of Labor. And they have to have a mentor, a one-to-one ratio, one mentor per apprentice. Who are these mentors? Who provides them? Is that DHR Health then, or that would that, yes? That's that's why it's critical to have a strong partner like DHR, DHR Health because they will be providing these mentors and ensuring that there's um, quality on-the-job learning uh, taking place. And that's that's a pretty large responsibility. That's why it's not just any employer who can come in and say they want to join an apprentice because there's a lot of responsibility. There's a lot of requirements uh, given that this is uh, registered through the Department of Labor. And it has to maintain a high level of quality standards in order to be registered through the DOL. And that's why it's it's very important that these employers be um, right there with us when it comes to adhering to these strict standards. And what will they be paid in this Earn as you learn model. The hmm. uh, starting uh, apprentice pay for these registered nurse apprentices will be fourteen dollars an hour, and as per required requirements from the Department of Labor, they need to be. Um, well, every six months their wages will increase. Uh, I'm not sure exactly by how much, but there will be an increase every six month uh, period throughout the four-year term of the apprenticeship. He's Dean of Industry, Training, Economic Development, South Texas College. Dean Carlos Margo joining us on this first-in-the-nation registered nurse apprenticeship program. Why and how is it the first-in-the-nation? I mean, it's it's great that we're doing this here in in South Texas. I'm surprised, frankly, that this has not been tried before, and I'm guessing – Maybe this model will be, they'll cut and paste and use it in, in other places across the country. Right, and that's that's the hope. And, and the reason is because this is not a traditional apprenticeship. I mean, there's registered programs and traditional occupations like electrician, plumber, uh, air conditioning uh, t- uh, technician, automotive technician. I mean, they've existed for years. And we have over, 15, over 14 or 15 already at the college. But this is unique because of the requirements required in the some of these healthcare occupations, like in registered nurse, the Board of Nursing has their strict requirements. It always, it just hadn't been a good, I guess, fix in, a, in the, I'm sorry, a good blend to have it become an apprenticeship program, a registered nurse program, simply because of the requirements of the Department of Labor that there needs to be you know, almost full-time work um, on the job related to the technical instruction in the classroom. And sometimes, it, I mean, I guess up until now, there just hadn't been an opportunity to have a college work together with the Department of Labor and the Texas Workforce Commission, I need to, I need to ask about or uh, mention, because they were very instrumental in helping this um, take place. Yeah. The State Department of Apprenticeship really helped us put this together. And again, it's the blending of existing license requirements, um, regulations on both sides for, for the nurse, nursing students, but also for the Department of Labor. A lot of it, it just didn't didn't work out as nicely as other occupations do simply because of the requirements on both sides, but we made it work and we just put a lot of resources into it. Um, a lot of subject matter experts also helped this uh, along. So, and it wasn't just STC, uh, STC alone. We did depend on the workforce commission. Department of labor was excellent yeah, in giving us technical say, support. So it's, I mean, it, it worked out. You recall the Texas workforce commissioner, Tim, championing this about two years back. It, it seems like it's Julian taken a while. Right. Yes. Julian Alvarez yeah. had been championing this for, for a while. You were, were going to ask something, Car- Carlos, how much then, just going on what you just said, how much did the ongoing nursing shortage nationwide, statewide, how much did that play a role in getting this model off the ground? 
Well, that was the initial reason for having these discussions even before COVID. Um, I know Commissioner Alvarez, then Commissioner Alvarez, was very, very helpful in getting uh, people together, such as myself, um, the dean of the nursing program at South Texas College, Jason Valerio, was part of the very initial discussions. Um, my job is to implement apprenticeship programs across the college. Of course, Dean Valerio is, the, is, is overseeing the nursing program, nursing department, but it was people like Commissioner Alvarez who put started putting yeah. people together, talking about it, putting it out there. At first, it seemed very yeah. far-fetched, but again, collectively, right. we were able to do it, but this is something that really sure. helped out. I've got just a few seconds left, Carlos. Um, how many job openings? I guess that's the best way to describe it, these apprenticeships. How many are we looking at right now? Uh, with one, with our first employer, we're looking at starting about 20 okay. maximum. We're going to start small and then just keep growing uh, year after year. And real quick, just a few seconds. Now, in, How many years uh, will it be? One year, two year apprenticeship or what? This is a two year, two year apprenticeship program. 4,000 hours combined for work experience. Carlos, thank you for your time. Dean of Industry Training, Economic Development, South Texas College, Carlos Morgo. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to the best of the Valley's morning news. Here's Sergio. Download the free app for 710KURV and all our sister stations at Radio United. Crisp, clear audio and access to previous programs from 710KURV only at Radio Parami. Download it. It's free. The heat continues. No relief in sight. No rain as well. No significant rain now for several weeks, a couple of months now. And looks like August looks very dry as well. How are we doing over at the watershed at, at the water levels for for South Texas, Hidalgo County Irrigation District Number Two, GM, Sunny Inojosa joining us again. What are the numbers he can share with us for the Rio Grande Valley watershed, Sunny? Oh, good morning, Sergio. Morning, brother. Uh, the latest figures we have are from July twenty second, and we just got those figures in Friday. But the United States share uh, of ownership in the Amistad Docking Reservoir System is at twenty six point three two percent. That's just eight hundred ninety two thousand acre feet of water. And like you said, there's no no relief in sight. We're going to have to endure probably all of August until we get to September, and hopefully we get you know some you know, September being the wettest month of the year. Hopefully we get some relief then. Okay. But once again, we're we're hoping for something tropical to to bail us out, really bail Mexico out because they're they're very far behind in their deliveries to the United States. Yeah, uh, re- review that for us real quick. The Mexican water debt, where does it stand right now? Yeah, you know, October is will be the third year anniversary of a five-year cycle. And annually, Mexico is supposed to deliver to the United States a minimum of 350,000 acre feet. And here we are two years and nine months into this cycle, and they've only delivered, you know, 359,000 acre feet. So that's just 
basically one year's delivery. And we've had meetings with IBWC, and they've, they've brought us up to speed on, on what's going on with their binational meetings. And Commissioner Hiner, the International Boundary and Water Commissioner Hiner, was down here in the Valley a couple of weeks ago, and we had some meetings with her, and, and she stresses to us that at every meeting that they meet with Mexico, they inform them, their request, um, that they release water to the United States. And there's only two reasons that Mexico wouldn't deliver this water, and, and the one is a hydraulic system failure, uh, which they have not had, and the secondly is extraordinary drought. Well, it'd be hard for Mexico to claim extraordinary drought when they have accumulated so much water in the in the tributaries that that, supposed, that the United States is supposed to get one-third of the runoff from. You know, last year, about this, well, it was mid-August when we had that one little storm event that went right up the river and uh, curved into Mexico. And, and, and that little storm in the next couple of months, you know, produced like 2.5 million acre feet of water into Mexico. Jeez. And in the six tributaries that Mexico supposed to get, that we're supposed to get water from, you know, they, they stockpile 2.9 million acre feet of water. So they'd be hard for us to, to say that so they have extraordinary They still got that water behind dams? They still got that water behind dams in Mexico? Most of it? Well, you know, it's been a, it's been almost a year, and, and they've used a million acre feet of it. So, yeah, they're down to 1.9 now, 1.9 million acre feet. And the longer that we wait, gives them more time to utilize that water. Sure. And that water is, you know, rightfully, one-third of it is rightfully United States water. The lack of but, delivery uh, of all this water, Sonny, what does that do as far as allocating that water to local growers, people that need it for their fields and all agriculture? Does that put us in a pinch and you can't provide that water for local folks as a result of Mexico hanging on to all that water, two years' worth? Absolutely. That's absolutely correct. Yeah, we're not getting that water, so and we're not getting any, any significant rainfall events on the Texas side, so we're not, uh, the system isn't yielding any extra water that could be allocated you know, to our farmers. Uh, and for the most part, you know, our row crop season is over with. Their cotton is, a, is a, the last crop that it's going to soon be, you know, starting to harvest. So the the major irrigation season is over, but now we're gearing up for our fall season uh, for vegetables. So yeah, it's, it's extremely critical. You know, we're at twenty six point three two percent. Well, that was as of last Friday. We're probably in a twenty five point five percent range right now as we speak. So I think there's a lot of trigger points for municipalities when we get to twenty five percent to implement some kind of a certain stage of their conservation plans. And, of course, the municipal conservation always helps uh, the overall system because any inflows that come in, you know, first first and foremost, we replenish the municipal reserve. So the less water that, that is needed for that, the more that could be available for agriculture. Hidalgo County Irrigation District number 2, GM, Sonny Hinojosa, our guest. Sonny Tim Sullivan here. So how does oh, this... Tim. 26.32% Falcon Amistad U.S. capacity number. How does that compare to this time last year when we were talking with you about this very yeah, same thing? We were, we, we were a little worse last year. You know, last year we, we bottomed out at uh, like 20.6%. Yeah, that was like just a little over 700,000 acre feet of water. So we're a little better off this year, but not, my, not by much. And refresh my memory, what was it that got us through last year? Was it mostly just you know, the weather, some very well-placed rainfall? 
Yes, there was that one little storm. It wasn't even a named storm. It was just a rainfall event that came up right into Brownsville, and it followed the path of the river all the way to Presidio, uh, maybe around Fort Equipment. It, it, it made a, a turn into Mexico, and it just, it, that little rainfall event, it just, just developed a lot of water. Uh, and then I think it, it also coincided with uh, Mexico's monsoon, or yeah, Northwest Mexico's uh, monsoon season, you know, West Texas, El Paso, New Mexico. All that area was getting a lot of rainfall last year. You know, for the first time in, in, in many, many years, we saw water coming in uh, above Fort Quitman, you know, from El Paso, because that part of the river is, is normally dry. There, it's, it's, it's basically non-existent, and we had flows in that, in that reach last year. But like I said, it was a, a little unnamed storm, that it's just a rainfall event that, mm-hmm. that yielded a lot of water, especially from Mexico. You know, in those six tributaries that we're supposed to get water from, you know, they gained, you know, 2.2 million acre feet. And the Amistad and Falcon Reservoir, you know, Mexico gained 350,000 acre feet. So they, they benefited tremendously. Sonny, has anyone run now, a study? Course, uh, go ahead, finish the thought. Go ahead. I said, of course, you know, what we get is what Mexico can't capture. So the, the rainfall or the, the benefit that we received was water that fell below the lowermost reservoirs, yeah. and that's what we get. Well, we get yeah. a third of that. Anything down, uh, you know, downriver from the dams where they're holding all all that water. Correct. Has anybody A and M anybody run a study on how Mexico holding all this water two years worth and us not having enough for allocation for all the growers? And now that we're done with another season, how has that negatively affected growing, where they have to choose different cop- crops or decide not to grow something. I mean, how does that hamper, how does that uh, suppress economic activity in Texas agriculture? Anybody run a study on that? The study probably needs to be updated. But we, we had a similar study to that uh, back in the drought in the early 2000s. Yeah, and the water debt years, the infamous you know, water debt years of yes, the early 2000s. Exactly. Yeah. You know, when the treaty was signed in 1944, Mexico had three reservoirs on these six tributaries. You know, they could impound three million acre feet. Well, since 1944, they've constructed eight more reservoirs, and now they can impound, you know, 820,000 more acre feet. So if you take a look at that 800,000, that's water that would have normally come into the Rio Grande, and, and we wouldn't be going through these periods of shortages. So, you know, we understand that, that Conagua, who is the... the, the National Water Commission in Mexico, I believe that they had expressed interest in releasing water, but yeah. the water's in Chihuahua, and they have a governor in Chihuahua that just will not cooperate with their federal government and release water to the United All right. States. All right. Muy amigos, muy amigos, everybody, but they give you a smile and a handshake. In the meantime, keep everything uh, that you need according to yes, treaty. Sir. All right. Thank you, Sonny. Sonny Hinojosa with Hidalgo County Irrigation District Number 2. Only News Talk Station, News Talk 710 KURV.
You're listening to the best of the Valley's morning news. Here's Sergio. This is Newstalk 710-KURV. This radio station, exclusive play-by-play home for Houston Astros baseball. Thank you to our many supporters, including FNT Valley Motorsports and Riverside Development Services and also Hess Air. Monthly newsletter is out from the Rio Grande Valley Port of Brownsville. We invite you to go to portofbrownsville.com and sign up for that free newsletter. The chief, Ed Campinano, running our port here in the valley. And finally, this new newsletter, Ed, this is the one that has the full article on next decade, final investment decision. So let's start there. What can you tell me as far as work that's being done, uh, hiring that's being done, maybe equipment being moved in? Well, now that FID, final investment decision, has been announced, so what's taking place at the moment? Well, uh, the same time that uh, final investment decision was announced, uh, notice to proceed, or I sh- should say, if, if you will, both to Bechtel and to Great Lakes was, was given as well. So uh, Bechtel is obviously mobilizing. Uh, they're, you know, getting ready. They're, they're moving in, um, setting up for shop. Um, they're in, you know, full uh, let's get this thing cranked up mode. Uh, they are obviously out uh, uh, looking for both uh, services uh, locally. Um, a lot of material is going to have to be brought in. Mm-hmm. We're already hearing from some of our port customers where they've executed contracts uh, for uh, certain uh, materials that they will need as they do the uh, mobilization of the site and the stabilization of the site. A lot of co- a lot of cement will be used in that process. Um, they're obviously um, getting ready to bring people on. Uh, we were told uh, in a meeting recently that, you know, perhaps by the end of the year, in terms of the mobilization, uh, they'll have at least 600 people on site. Uh, probably won't see the big, big peak until more until the end of, of next year. Uh, and uh, that would, you know, they've said, you know, it could peak at 5,000 plus employees. So, so they're getting ready. A lot of activity. Of course, uh, Great Lakes announced, uh, obviously, that it had been given notice. So they're in, in uh, we're working with them and the Corps on, on uh, the scheduling associated with the uh, uh, channel uh, deepening uh, on, on their end. Uh, they expect to start uh, sometime by the end of this month. Uh, we probably will not see a dredger. Uh, in the channel till maybe towards the end of the year because the first part of the work is getting all of the disposal sites ready to take in that material. Okay. Uh, we've already started on our part of that project, so uh, things are happening and they're going to be in you know in full mode for quite some time. So uh, a lot of excitement. Uh, uh, see a lot of activity. You've already seen some of the uh, markings on the road. Uh, in preparation for the uh, uh, commencement of the site, uh, where you know we'll be announcing that uh, you know caution on the road, uh, working with TxDOT to uh, uh, implement the uh, transportation plan for that area. So things are happening on the deepening of the of the port by um, by Great Lakes. This notice to proceed for that. Can, can you again describe how how long, how deep that project will be? Well, the the deepening of the ship channel will be the entire length of the ship channel, including the offshore approach coming in through the jetties, and then there's a piece 
uh, called the Bendizing, uh, and then from there on it will include uh, the majority, about 16 miles, uh, if not a little bit more, of the 17-mile-long Brownsville Ship Channel. It's being done in two phases. Uh, next decade, uh, through the uh, uh, Rio Grande uh, LNG project, uh, is going to be executing on what we call segment A or phase one of the project, and that is everything from their western boundary eastward out into the ocean. So that's what they're working on. From that point into the turning basin uh, inside the port, uh, we are working on what the Corps would call segment B, or in effect phase two with the Corps of Engineers to deepen that. So the plan for everything uh, through the from the jetties into channel will be going to 52 feet. It is currently at a 42-foot 40, uh, draft. And then through the jetties and offshore, uh, it's currently at a 44-foot draft, and it would go to 54 feet. But the initial element of construction uh, also includes what they call overdraft and advanced maintenance draft. So in effect, they're going to be adding another four feet to to that. So you will, at the end of the day, the 50 four foot would actually be at 58, and then the the, the 52 feet would actually be at, at 56. So uh, it is a significant project. Uh, you know, this thing will probably be in the works for more than two years with uh, possibly multiple uh, dredgers working, not only the one for next decade, but obviously uh, the one that would be working for the core on the inner part or, or segment B of the project. Uh, a lot of coordination will happen, but uh, it, it will you, you'll you'll be seeing that uh, towards the end of the year and well into the next couple of years. All right, Ed Campidano, Director, Rio Grande Valley Port of Brownsville. Ed, Tim Sullivan here. Is this channel deepening? Is it required specifically for the LNG vessels that'll be coming into the the Rio Grande LNG terminal? Not necessarily. Uh, we were already in the process of the doing all the work associated, the preliminary work. The you know, I mean, this the channel deepening has been in the works for well over 15 years. Yeah. The the LNGs uh, arrived uh, later in that process. Uh, essentially, what will happen that is beneficial to them is because of the draft that we're going to, uh, uh, which is not what they need, but because we're going down 10 to 14 feet. Uh, you begin to um, essentially uh, uh, shape uh, the channel from the bottom up. And so there's a, there's a slope to it, anywhere from three to one, two to one, two and a half to one, depending. So essentially what you get is, is as you go deeper and you begin to slope out, that incremental widening of the ship channel is really what they need. And so they will benefit from that incremental widening. So uh, their sweet spot is not going to be anywhere in the 50-foot range. It's probably going to be in the mid to upper 40. So for them, uh, the benefit to all of involved is that we were able to take uh, this project and, and essentially create a partnership with them and the government. It's, it's actually the first project being done as a P3 initiative. Uh, with the Corps of Engineers, and so, you know, consequently, uh, we were able to bear the resources, bringing them to the forefront, uh, the government participation and our participation is what made this project possible, so it, it is very significant to us. Yeah. Okay, well, after the, the big news from next decade, Rio Grande LNG, 
Uh, can you give us a, an update, a status report on, on the second LNG terminal, Texas LNG, uh, that's scheduled Texas to, to LNG build? Texas is, LNG is, is, yeah, is still working. Uh, we're in contact with them. Obviously, they're working through all their processes. Uh, uh, they've announced and, and they continue to say that, you know, they're looking to make FID towards the end of the year in okay. 2023. Uh, I, I will tell you, they're, they're, in terms of, of size and and, and scope, they're a much smaller project. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, their uh, their permit is for about four million tons of, of LNG, whereas next decade a uh, full build out is 27 million. But nonetheless, you know, it is going to be an important project. Uh, you know, the LNG market has expanded so much that you know there's a lot of countries uh, that are looking to change, get away from you know burning coal or diesel for their electric generation. And it's not all Europe or Asia. Uh, you, you got it in the Caribbean basin. You've got it in Central and South America. So, you know, from a market perspective, they're well positioned to uh, certainly fill in and, and address uh, some of those needs of, of countries that may be closer to our region. But, you know, nonetheless, they're still going to be looking. Uh, the parent company, Glenfarn, that, that actually uh, has uh, next decade is and is the the one in, in actually you know moving this project, you know they they own LNG assets and they also manage them so uh, in in South America and 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 in in other areas so you know technically they could be their own customer but they're they're looking to participate uh, and obviously this this global demand and uh, again uh, I give them a lot of credit. Um, uh, but but they are going to be uh, somewhat different than Texas, L I mean, Rio Grande LNG, but, you know, they're working towards FID. And thank you for the update. Again, get the latest news from the port, portofbrownsville.com, their website, got a free monthly newsletter. We want to say congratulations but because we know it's published in the latest newsletter. Congratulations to Keppel Anfils, the shipyard. They delivered their latest LNG-powered ship. Ed, thank you much for the update. We'll call again Ed Campinano, our chief over at the Rio Grande Valley Port of Brownsville. After many years together, things got boring. The spark was gone. Even on date night, we had nothing to talk about. Until we started listening to News Talk 710 KURV, now we have plenty to talk about. I am so angry. It's long overdue for me to speak my mind about this. Never a dull moment, and there's plenty to talk about. We're the Valley's News and Talk Station. News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to the best of the Valley's morning news. Here's Sergio. Download the free app for 710K URV and all our sister stations at Radio United. Crisp, clear audio and access to previous programs from 710K URV only at Radio Parami. Download it. It's free. Dr. Guy Bailey, President UTRGV, our guest again. And let's start today's conversation on a sports note. I saw a little headline that mentioned yeah, our football program still a couple of years away. But, hey, we got one player that has made a commitment to our football program. you want to comment on that? Well, we're very pleased. I mean, you have to start somewhere, yeah, right? There and, we go. Uh, it's interesting. I, I think uh, uh, Coach Bush has been out working very hard. We'll see more of these commitments coming down the line. 
And this is always a, a particular challenge when you have a new program because, remember, you've never played any games. You don't have a schedule yet. And so you, you've got to, uh, to sell players on a dream. And uh, we think we have the right coach to do it. It's, he's, he's visited every high school in the Valley at least twice. And, and he and his, his uh, coaching staff have been out over the state. I, I think they'll do a terrific job. And and again, it it'll really be next year before recruiting, you know, becomes sort of full bore, and you read about it uh, every day. But uh, but it's a first, and we're very pleased. The university has become quite the magnet; it has changed so much over a couple of decades. Hey, look at that! We got a medical school. I mean, well, there's so much to offer here, and with a full arsenal, uh, I would imagine of some scholarship money. Uh, the first several seasons could be. Very entertaining uh, for UTRGV football, I would imagine. It, it could be, and you know, we we think it will be. And we already have uh, students signing up for marching band, which, by the way, will begin this fall. People think when you think of football, you think of the football team, but remember all of the other things that go with it: spirit and spirit squads and marching band. And so, we we hope to have our marching band in events beginning uh this winter and so well there you go uh, <clears throat> yeah yeah they they are they're excited uh spirit squads are developing there there will be a lot of excitement on campus and 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 in the community as well everywhere i go people ask me about uh about football and people are excited about 2025 and we are as well well, it would be good to see the UT RGV Vaquero marching band at the Christmas big Christmas parade for McAllen, if they can get put that together. It, it, it absolutely would, right. wouldn't it? Yes, yeah. I mean, it would be, <clears throat> be great seeing them there. Dr. Guy Bailey, president UT RGV, our guest, wanted to get your comments real quick. The latest class, medical class, had a white coat ceremony the other day. Bit by bit, that class keeps getting bigger. It does, and uh, with the... Uh, with the final LCME accreditation, we can grow that class about 10% a year. Uh, and with special permission, we could grow it larger. We'll start growing it about 10% a year. And then as we build up more infrastructure, uh, <clears throat> and by that, I mean faculty hiring, you have to have a certain number of faculty to, to teach those medical students. And so as we build that up, we'll gradually increase that class and, uh, uh, one day we'd we'd like to have about a hundred students in, in each entering class, so about four hundred total medical students. And hopefully we can keep the majority here in South Texas. Dr. Guy Bailey, uh, absolutely. Yeah, Dr. Guy Bailey, President UTRGV, our guest. I want to get your quick comments on this headline. I noticed that we were among about a, a dozen or so schools, uh, colleges, got some money from NASA. Some. Uh, a NASA grant, some engineering money. I want to get your comments on that. A absolutely. And, uh, and again, this grant is designed to increase the number of STEM students uh, uh, at UTRGV and at, at all of the universities that got it. And as you know, uh, the Hispanic population is fastest growing in the United States. And for us to, to be able to run organizations like NASA, we need more and more engineers and, and those engineers have to come from the Hispanic population. And so what NASA is doing is investing in our population. They want, they want more engineers from the Rio Grande Valley. And, and by the way, our engineering program 
has an excellent reputation uh, with businesses uh, uh, around the state. I mean, the, the, our students are, are prized and uh, have no trouble getting jobs. And so that's why we get grants like the NASA grant. It's what, like why we're getting a new PhD in material science and engineering. And uh, uh, the Higher Education Coordinating Board in the UT system uh, recognizes that our engineering program is is remarkably successful. It's, it, by the way, it's our fastest growing school. They're growing about 7% a year, which is, and if you think about that, that's remarkable. These are kids who are going to go out and high paying jobs and do great things. Dr. Guy Bailey, UTRGV, our guest, speaking of the engineering program with what is literally dropping at our lap here in South Texas with Elon Musk and SpaceX and aerospace liquefied natural gas at the port and all the potential um, spinoff from that. Do you see the engineering program evolving at our university to meet the earth sciences, mineral sciences, geographic sciences, uh, engineering sciences for aerospace uh, over the next several years to meet the demand for all those jobs right here in South Texas? Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, we've been evolving over the last few years, and I think you'll see you'll see continual involvement as as more businesses are attracted to the valley. And remember that, that companies come where there is workforce. And so for high-tech companies to come, we have to produce a critical mass of workforce. That's why they go to Austin. And we're beginning to do that in, in, in engineering. The new doctoral programs will help. We have a uh, doctoral proposal in computer science uh, that I think the coordinating board will consider probably in February. Excellent. All of these new doctoral programs make a huge difference. Yeah, and can be offered online as well, right, Doc? Well, most of those are are in person because okay. PhD programs. I mean, you need to be in research labs. You need to. These are hands on. That many master's programs are offered online, but the the doctoral programs require that you be working in research labs, and so. Uh, there's smaller programs, uh, whereas in a master's program, you might have 100 students, you might have 20 or 30 in a mm-hmm. PhD program. But those students are really the ones that the high-tech companies are looking for. Yes, sir. For. Noted. Yeah, I wanted to make reference to the uh, yeah, the always expanding online offerings at UTRGV. It's amazing to That's hear exactly right. right how they access That's our exactly university right. from all over the world, it seems. we got students uh, tuning in. Online we for the do. right, we yeah, ten four, and I, I wanted to just w- real quick and get comments from you on uh, your your brainchild, which is uh, you are the driving force behind these collegiate high schools that we have here in South Texas. Years back, creating that Harlingen one, we got programs in Edinburgh, we got the program in McAllen. Uh, might there be more collegiate programs, other ISDs, create more? more branches, pipelines into the university. There there certainly could be. And, you know, we're always open to opportunities. We wait for school districts to come to us. And, uh, uh, you know, they need to be ready. It needs to be a high – because this is a big commitment on their part, and it's a big commitment on our part. But what it does is provide our students with educational opportunities – 
that they can't get even in the best school districts in the state of Texas. You couldn't go to Highland Park or to Alamo Heights and get what you can get at, at a collegiate high school. And That's so they're, they're really uh, uh, t- tremendous assets. And so as school districts are ready to make that commitment, we're, we'll be ready to make the commitment with them. Yeah. Thank you, Dr. B. Um, I got about 30 seconds. Brick and mortar projects coming up real quick. Anything? Well, if you if you'll simply drive on 495 on Pecan, you'll see two things going up right there: a collegiate high school in McAllen and the Cancer Infusion Therapy Center. Drive on up 281, you'll see the collegiate high school in Edinburgh yep. going up. Uh, you go over to the Brownsville campus; we have a uh, research building going up there with a, a vivarium for animal uh, research, and so. Uh, there, there is construction all over campus, and there will be more. Thank you, Dr. B. Dr. Guy Bailey, President, UTRGV. Listening to rich, crystal clear audio is as easy as saying, Hey, Alexa. Hello. Play 710 KURV. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. For the latest news and live programming while on the go. To work or picking up my kids from school. Download the KURV app on your Google Play Store or Apple App Store. Or ask Alexa to connect you to News Talk 710 KURV. Hey, Alexa, play 710 KURV. The Rio Grande Valley's News Talk Station. So what station? It's News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. You're listening to the best of the Valley's morning news. Here's Sergio. It's a real pleasure to bring back to the morning news Orlando Campos. He's an economic development leader, has been for many, many years in the region, and now he's the chief over at Harlingen Economic Development. Orly, welcome back to the program. For folks uh, working for a living out there somewhere, going to work and, and all that, tell us just real quick uh, some of your background, the different communities that you've been helping as far as economic development and, and other leadership posts throughout the years. Sure. sure. I actually started my career down in my hometown, which is in Brownsville, Um First as uh, director of marketing, then I eventually became vice president of business development. I had a for a few years. I worked at Valley International Airport mm-hmm. uh, as their manager of business development, um, and then I got a call and a job offer for the uh, city of Arlington. I worked with the Arlington Chamber of Commerce just as the uh, Cowboy Stadium was being built. I was there for a few years. Then I got a call from a recruiter encouraging me to consider a newly established position as the first economic development director for the uh, town of Addison in North Dallas County. Hmm. And so I decided to move forward with that. And I was there for 12 years till I finally decided that it was time to come home and use a lot of the things that I had learned over the years and hopefully have a an impact down here in my home region. Yeah. So many years you've been working economic development and you've seen the Valley, you've seen Texas evolve. And nowadays they, they all say that everybody's moving to Texas. They're all coming to Texas, business friendly yeah. Texas, right? All these jobs, all these workers are coming here, all the industry coming here as well. So do you see uh, perhaps some similarities 
with North Texas, the Valley could take advantage of some low-hanging fruit to some industries headed here that we should be emphasizing, we should be prioritizing to try to land. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. There's Right now there's strong interest from uh, other uh, people and companies from other states, particularly California. When you look, uh, having lived up in North Texas, that region draws a little over 100,000 people annually that migrate to the region and that community has been very successful in attracting quite a number of um, corporate headquarters from the California area Hmm. here to uh, Texas and you see the same thing happening with other parts of the country such as the Chicago area and New York uh, as well. They've done a good job at marketing that region and I think that we ourselves need to get a little bit more aggressive in getting the word out, meeting with uh, potential prospects to take advantage of some of that movement that's happening to the state. Texas, of course, is a, is a huge state. So we've got to make sure that we get out there and uh, toot our own horn when we have successes, uh, take advantage of um, social media outlets so that we can get the word out and explain to potential investors what the Rio Grande Valley is all about. Orlando Campos. Yes, sir. Uh, Orlando Campos is the new leader for Harlingen Economic Development. Yeah, Orlando, Tim Sullivan here. So when you were in Addison, did you have anything to do with that massive fireworks show up there? (laughs) (laughs) That has been going on for well over 25 years. That is one heck of a show that, that they put on. Uh, oh, anyway, back, back to the Valley. What are you working on specifically in, in Harlingen? What's at the top of your list, economic development list? Sure. Well, I put together a um, 90-day plan, and I shared it with our board of directors as well as uh, our mayor. And so my primary focus initially is to get to understand the uh, community, um, get to understand the internal minutia, if you will, of management, managing an organization, such as the EDC, the next step will be to get out into the public, get to know our key stakeholders, um, and then the uh, final 30 days will be focused on developing an actual plan uh, of how we move forward and then beginning to execute that plan. Do you, can you give us a status update on, on the big building there that formerly housed United Launch Alliance uh, near the airport to, what are your plans as far as you know at this point? Sure. We have had uh, a few prospects look at that building. Um, so we are actively pushing that building to potential opportunities that come uh, our way. That building is in a great location mm-hmm. right next to Valley International Airport. Um, and fortunately, it's a very attractive building that uh, would make it a- ideal for another company. Uh, as far as the prospects, uh, any anybody that you know jumping to the top of the list that that might be you know in our near future. Um, we have one prospect that uh, will be visiting us soon, so they're in the aviation industry uh, okay, as nice well. Fit. So they it makes it ideal for them. It'd be be a good fit, you think. Orlando, Absolutely. Camp- Orlando Campos is the new chief of Harlingen Economic Development, joins us right now. And with so many changes over two decades when it comes to the Valley economy, you come back home 
to a valley that seems to be firing on all cylinders. We have a medical school, International Bridge work that's, you know, we got all this logistics that's setting up shop on our side because that's super highway, Pacific trade headed this way, more agriculture and so on. Aerospace, rocket ships, LNG, shipbuilding, all that stuff nearby. What do you think, Orly? Where do you see Harlingen fit in, in all this? And I didn't even mention the computer chips coming, the manufacturing over here in McAllen, the high-tech opportunities as well. With the university, that we can get everybody trained for that. So where, where does Harlingen fit in this economic development sure. puzzle? One amazing thing that has happened since I've been gone is the tremendous growth that has happened here in in the valley. And you, you're starting to see... Um, city limits sort of blur and as the region grows and sort of becomes one. And so to me, it's very similar to um, what you see up in the DFW area. Um, and Harlingen is ideally located almost right in the middle between two larger business hubs. So there's tremendous opportunities for companies to establish operations um, in Harlingen and take advantage of the much of what the uh, entire region has to offer, not only with suppliers but also with the uh, labor pool, so they're able to access much um, a much broader amount of potential labor that is skilled and qualified for those businesses. Do you see a different synergy now than what you saw twenty years ago here in South Texas between the colleges, the university workforce? And industry and the EDC offices. I, it seems to me that in 20 years we have evolved. We are working closer and willing to lock arms so that we move in the same direction and capture that industry. It seems that in that aspect, with this young population that needs to be trained, things are better now, it seems. Absolutely. Last week we held a strategic planning uh, retreat for our board of directors and City Commission, but we also included our key stakeholders, which was TSTC, mm -hmm. Texas Workforce Commission, UTRGV, and they all made time to come to the table, provide some critical input that we needed. And so the synergy that, that I see and collaboration is much stronger than what existed before. And so that's one of the things that excites me. Workforce development will continue to be a big issue here in the valley so it's very very important that we bring all these key stakeholders to the table orly we wish you the best stay in touch and continued success your success will be the success of the of the community as well you and, and colleagues and economic development down here orlando campos the new chief for harlingen economic development this is the only radio station in the rio grande valley for the news and information you need to know we are news talk 710k urv Discover our Facebook page, 710KURV, also Twitter. I'm Sergio Sanchez, and my email is sergio at kurv.com. Thank you for listening to News Talk 710KURV. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. 
stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radiopotomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV.